Right. Nice to see you. Thank you very much. Uh, it's great to be here. I uh, hope you can hear me okay. It's kind of weird speaking to a camera and seeing all these people on the screen there. But uh, it's nice to see you and uh, it's nice to be invited. Thank you very much indeed for your invitation today. Um, first of all, I want to bring greetings from your brothers and sisters in the north of Shrewsbury. Um, it's great to be part of a wider church family in the same town that has things to do with each other. Um, and they really are your brothers and sisters and you're our brothers and sisters. And so I just want to, uh, to, to bring greetings and uh, to say how good it is to be family together. Uh, we are involved with you in so many different things and you're involved with us in so many different things, not least food bank. So uh, we have a food bank in North Shrewsbury, which is a part of the wider food bank led by Karen Williams here, of course, uh, from Barnabas, which we're delighted to be part of. We're also part of Bread Trust, which is uh, our international charity working with churches, as you know, in Ukraine and in Zambia. And we're part of that. Our church is part of that. We are all in with that in terms of helping the poor and serving Christians in these countries, as are other churches in our region. And also, we're also involved in Family Focus, which is a, a family support outreach that our church, your church, and a church in Bridge North is involved in, of which some members of your members are mentors supporting families. Uh, and lastly, uh, we have our, our own charity, which is an employment charity, helping people back into employment called Hope Initiatives, of which a number of your members are employees. So a big uh, hi to Chris and to Sarah and previously Dave, uh, who is also one of the staff members. So uh, we're really pleased to be part and parcel of what God is doing in Shrewsbury. And we are looking forward to what the Lord has for us together into the future as we reach out in our town us in the north and you here in the center and elsewhere. But also we're part of a, a, a regional family as well. And so um, I want to also bring greetings from your brothers and sisters in Whitchurch. Uh, Jamie leads the church there, Beacon Church. I'm really excited because later on this month we're having a prayer meeting. Oh, to, and you're invited to that prayer meeting as well to pray for God's blessing on their new building. They've got a new building in the center of Whitchurch, uh, uh, which they are uh, really, God has provided them with through numbers of different uh, means. And they're just gonna be, we're just gonna be joining them uh, in praying that God uses them and blesses them in Whitchurch. You're invited to that prayer meeting as we serve God together as part of what God wants to do in Shropshire, joining with that guy, those guys in Whitchurch. And of course, we have, uh, I also bring greetings on behalf of our church family in Telford, TCF, and at Hope Community Church in Admiston as well. So together, we are um, a family of churches that love each other, support each other. We have regularly prayer meetings. The elders meet regularly together once a month. We pray and we've been praying for your church. We've been praying for our, our dear church here at Barnabas. As you've gone through a really horrendous year, we're praying that God will break out amongst you. God will bless you. God will increase what is done in you over the years into the next phase of your maturing and of your life together. Who knows what God wants to do, but it's going to be great. That's all way of, uh, of a sort of introduction and, and a hi, and we bring you all these greetings. So let's get on with Acts uh, chapter 9. Um, it's been a wonderful uh, 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 opportunity for me to revisit this passage. And uh, my encouragement to you really 
is don't come to on a Sunday fresh to this passage. Don't come having not read it. Read it before you come. Pray about it before you come. Prepare your hearts by studying it, reading it, absorbing it, asking the Lord, open up my eyes to what you want to teach me today through this passage, but do it before you get here. Prepare your hearts. Even if you're doing different Bible readings and different Bible study guides and all that, that's fine. But prepare your heart because this is what your church is doing at the moment. And you're doing this together. So I'm not going to read this passage through as if you haven't read it. Because I'm going to assume that you're preparing your heart by reading it in advance. I really want to encourage you to do that. Anyhow, let's continue. So many of us know the story of Saul's road to Damascus experience. In fact, the words road to Damascus have become a commonplace saying in our culture, meaning a complete change of perspective, a complete change around. So why was it so dramatic for Saul uh, as he started off on the road to Damascus? Well, I think firstly, we need to remember who Saul was. Saul was a Pharisee. And in the in the Gospels, we find many references to the Pharisees, as you know. Let me read out some of the references, uh, not the Bible references, but what the Bible says about Pharisees in the Gospels. Well, firstly, the Pharisees kept the Sabbath. They fasted regularly. They avoided the Gentiles because they were spiritually dirty. The Pharisees were concerned with their reputation. They delighted in being honored and given uh, a, 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 an important place in the community. The Pharisees fastidiously kept the law and followed and observed the commandments. The Pharisees wanted proof through signs and the Pharisees loved money. Pharisees believed they had spiritual sight and the Pharisees were used to giving orders. The Pharisees had the power to determine who was in and who was out. The Pharisees were like judges. They could throw people out of the synagogue. And Saul, one of the main protagonists in this chapter, well, he was a Pharisee. And Saul wanted a pure faith. You see, Saul didn't want anyone to be yeast in the batch, spoiling it, causing contamination. And Saul had realized that there were a group of Jews who had become contaminants. They were the followers of the way. They were yeast in the batch. Stephen was a follower of the way. He was a renegade. And he needed to be dealt with. And Saul was pleased that he was stoned to death because he was yeast in the batch. He was a contaminant and he had rejected the pure faith of the law of Moses. Those followers of the deceiver Jesus were misled and they were dangerous and they needed to be brought to book. And in Acts chapter 8, we find this Saul, this Pharisee, going from house to house looking for followers of Jesus to force, forcibly throw them into prison. Because they were lawbreakers. 
So it's no surprise to us when we come to chapter 9 that Saul the Pharisee was extending his inquisition beyond Jerusalem and was fixed on following these followers of the way to Damascus. He had heard that there were believers of the way, this sect, this contaminant in Damascus, and he was all out to get them. He wanted to eradicate them because he saw them as dangerous uh, heretics. But being a law-abiding man, Saul required letters giving permission from the high priest to pursue these heretics in Damascus. And that's what he did in the first few verses. And then Saul sets out on his murderous plot, his plan to uh, do God's bidding, to bring uh, purity, to be the judge uh, of, of what was right, the righteousness of God to those people who are going there in a wrong direction. Those heretics in Damascus, he sets out on his way and to Saul's utter shock, God himself apprehends Saul on his way. And we read, a light from heaven suddenly flashed all around. Now, this light was not an ordinary light because um, Luke says that it's a light from heaven. It's brighter than anything Saul has ever seen before. He is frightened because this thing, this light is otherworldly. And it evokes memories in us as followers of Jesus of what happened in Mark chapter 9 on Mount Hermon, I think it was, where Jesus and, and, uh, and, and Peter and James and John were on that mountain and then Jesus suddenly is transfigured and the light of the glory of God is emitted emanates from the Lord Jesus and they are terrified this same thing happens to Saul on his way to Damascus he is terrified and what do you do when you're terrified you fall to the fall you fall to the ground who are you Lord Saul recognizes that this is a curios this is a Lord this is something supernatural but he doesn't know who this is this Pharisee who prides himself in such knowledge of pure, pure faith, of being a, a, a man of the law of Moses. He doesn't know who this Lord is. And the words he's about to hear from the mouth of Christ himself utterly turn his world upside down forever. It's like the rug is completely pulled from beneath his feet that's why he fell down. His studies, his thoughts, his actions, his zeal is all thrown down and becomes useless in the words he's about to hear. These are the words that the risen Christ says to, to, to Saul. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The one Saul thought was the blasphemer, Saul has now blasphemed. Saul has sought to defile the one who makes clean. The one Saul thought was the heretic is the living word. The people Saul sought to persecute were the Lord's own beloved people. 
In fact, more than that, the ones Saul was persecuting were the very body of Christ himself. Saul's spiritual sight was actually utter darkness. What a terrible revelation. What a glorious revelation. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you blind Pharisees. And Saul experienced that utter blindness because what he thought was light and sight was in fact the opposite. Saul's name means asked for, prayed for. Saul thought himself to be the answer to God's plans. He thought himself to be the answer, the prayed for expression. And yet now he's humbled He's blind and he's on the floor. Jesus had planned this ambush. Jesus' plans are surprising and specific. Jesus has orchestrated Saul's salvation. And it starts with humbling, being blind and being led. So Saul is fasting and he's praying and he's led to a house of a man called Judas in Straight Street in Damascus. Very specific place. He is asking God. He is now asking God, okay? His name means to ask God to, to be the answer, to be God's answer. His name Saul means to be God's answer. Now God's answer is asking God because he's, he's got nothing. His foundation is gone. He's asking God what do I do? What do I do? He's looking for an answer. And Jesus is orchestrating and he's preparing. And Jesus is also preparing one of his disciples, a man called Ananias. He's preparing him to be someone who walks alongside this man Saul. Ananias is a follower of the way. He would have been someone whom Saul had come to persecute. This man, Ananias, is in his home and he is uh, learning to hear the voice of God. Perhaps Ananias is practicing what Jesus taught in Matthew 6 about going into the closet, his room, and seeking God and asking him and praying, Lord, let me be of worth to you. Let me serve you. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How can I be a blessing with the good news that you've given me? Perhaps Ananias was a man like this because that's what disciples do. He is alert and he's listening and Ananias hears the voice of Jesus speak to him because Ananias is a vehicle of God's grace. Ananias was a man of the Holy Spirit's overflow. The overflow that says, Lord, let me be a blessing. Lord, let me give away what you've given me. He's listening and the Lord speaks to him. And Ananias says, yes, Lord, here I am. What can I do for you? And surprisingly and scarily, the risen Lord Jesus says for him to go to this persecutor, this man, Saul of Tarsus, at a specific address because he's praying now. 
because Saul is seeking God and asking him for forgiveness and asking him for help and asking him for a new understanding of all the things he had gotten wrong. It's a repentance Saul is going through. He's saying, I used to go this way and now I need to change and go this way. And the Lord is telling us today that we miss change direction. And maybe you're listening to this today and you're, 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 the Lord is saying to you, repent, turn, turn away from the things that you used to do and turn to me. That's what Saul was doing. And the Lord loves prayers that are like that. Humble, weak, needy prayers that says, Jesus, help me. And it reminds me of the parable Jesus gave of the Pharisee and the, and the publican. And the Pharisee says, oh, thank you that I'm not like this man. And the publican says, oh, God, have mercy on me. And now Saul, the Pharisee, is saying, Lord, have mercy on me. What have I done? I've got it so wrong. Because Jesus is orchestrating. And dear Ananias is faced with a challenge of faith. Do I do what Jesus is telling me? By putting my life on the line and going to this man, Ananias, who's known with a reputation of being a murderous man, a man who would stop at nothing to put the likes of me into prison. What about my family? What about, what about, what about? And yet this man, Ananias, this disciple of Jesus, he says, I will trust you, Jesus. I will trust your words. And he goes and he trusts the words of Jesus that Jesus is orchestrating and Jesus is saving and Jesus is dealing with Saul. We don't need to know everything to obey the Lord. We just need to obey the Lord and leave it to him. And Ananias goes. And he goes and he's honest with the Lord but he still goes. And he went to Saul, not judging. He wasn't a Pharisee, Ananias. He was a disciple. He didn't go judging. He went, and what does he say to him? He says, brother Saul. He greets him as a family member because he knows that Jesus is doing a work in him, making him from an enemy to a brother. You see, Ananias knows what it means when Jesus says, love your enemy. He calls him brother. He calls him friend. The disciple Ananias is used by Jesus to heal Saul of his blindness and to baptize him into the new life of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. Ananias is a disciple. He knows that when he lays his hand on someone, he, he, Jesus will use him to heal him. Ananias is a disciple. He knows what it means to instruct uh, Saul as to repent and be prepared and ready for baptism and the new life. Ananias is a disciple and he knows that when he lays his hand and asks for the Holy Spirit to flood new life into this, into this man, he will do it. He's a disciple. There aren't many Sauls whose name now has changed. His name has changed from Saul to Paul and the word Paul, the etymology of the word Paul is small and humble and it's no it's no it's it's not by chance that the one who used to call himself saw God's answer God's gift God's answer to the prayers of the people now becomes Paul small and humbled 
There aren't many Pauls, but there could be an army. There are an army of Ananiases. You are Ananiases. I'm an Ananias. Ministers of Jesus' grace, are you listening for his voice? Will you go when he speaks? Are you trusting that he is orchestrating? And then that leads me really to the last point that I want to make here, and it's about faith. There's a question of faith here. Ananias had faith to respond to the voice of Jesus. Saul, who has become small Paul, has responded to the vision of Jesus. And Paul begins to teach in the synagogues. He'd always taught in the synagogues, but now his message is all about the Messiah Jesus, the King. He'd always taught in the synagogues, but now his focus is on the revelation of Jesus, who is the Messiah. Is this our message? Is this your message? Is it all Jesus now? This man, Saul, who became Paul, he spoke boldly, he spoke powerfully, he refuted, he argued, he convinced, he demonstrated. All these things that he'd done for years and years as a Pharisee, he was now applying to this gospel of transformation, this good news all about the risen Lord Jesus. He didn't wait. He went for it. He went for it. But but dear Saul, who became Paul, had to learn humility as a new believer. He had to rethink everything. He had to learn patience, and so must we. He had to go home to Tarsus to work out his salvation with fear and trembling. And we have to be patient, but we have to allow Jesus to be our everything. And out of the overflow to go to go when he says go and then we come to Peter and I'm not going to speak too much about Peter because I think Dave is speaking about Peter next week in these verses from verse 32 Peter also like Paul saw the 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 glory and the light on the Mount of Transfiguration and like Paul Peter uh, heard the voice of God Thirty years later, Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1 of the experience that changed him. In verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths, Peter says, when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter remembers his, his moment when he saw Jesus revealed in his glory. And so does Paul. Something like 20 years later, Saul, who became Paul, wrote this to the church in Philippi, uh, in, Philippi in, verse three, uh, in chapter 3, verse 11. Paul says this, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. He goes on to say, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, 
as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish, refuge, excrement, the Greek is, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is Paul 20 years later. This is Paul who's transformed from the Pharisee to the servant, from the, from the, from the proudful to the humble and the small. This is Paul who met Jesus on the road to Damascus. So what do we learn from this chapter? The first question I'd like to leave you with is this. Are you judging anyone? Are you like Saul? Are you, are you judging? Are you looking on the outside when Jesus is looking on the inside? Do you believe that Jesus is orchestrating salvation in the lives of those around you? Do you believe that Jesus is wanting to save and draw people to himself, your neighbors, your work colleagues, those people in the community, your family members, that Jesus is working in them already? As we are praying for them, Jesus is working in them. Are you more fearful of men than you are of the Lord? Are you concerned that if you go to people that they will reject you, that you will become an anathema to them? Well, you may do. But the question is, do we fear him more than we fear men? Let's be like Ananias. Do you take the word of Jesus seriously and believe what he says is true? Jesus is at work in your colleagues, in your friends, in your neighbors. Jesus is at work orchestrating salvation everywhere. Are you available to listen to his instruction to you? Lord, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to bless? Who might I serve? How can I respond to you? And I'm just going to pray now for us and then I'm going to hand back over to Phil. Let's just pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for this chapter. We thank you that you've transformed a man like Saul. You've, you, you, your plan was to save him in order to use him. We thank you, Lord, for this, this disciple. After this incident, we never hear from him again, Ananias of Damascus. But Lord, he was used by you. Thank you for him. Lord, let us be like Ananias. Let us respond to you. Lord, use us in our workplace. Use us in our family. Use us in our community. We thank you, Lord, that with you, COVID is not a barrier to your work of salvation. We pr I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd put in us a desire to close the door, to spend time with you, to listen to you, to be alert and available to you. And then to respond to those people we meet as if we were serving you. In Jesus' name, amen.